our kids today, and by kids, I mean my generation, millennials, and the Zoomers, Gen Z, after us, are we too sensitive? And if so, why is that? We discuss this and more on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking peoples, thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, anti-fragile snowflake, and with me as always is my thoughtfully therapeutic co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, and um, I don't know, <laughs> uh, someone who I think is not offended by things to a fault. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Insensitive to a insensitive. fault. Yes, yes. Uh, um, problematically insensitive or something like that. Charmingly, yeah, exactly. In, I, no, charmingly insensitive. There we go. We'll go with that. Charmingly insensitive, uh, but not like in a way I just want to be mean to people. I just, it's hard for things to uh, rattle. Yes, and, it's uh, like, oh, should, should I have been offended by that? Maybe, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I guess so. <laughs> I've had people get mad at me because they were trying to offend me right. and I just wasn't offended and that created some sort of anger. Uh, has that, has that like been, like, have you had been in like situations? Uh, I'm sorry, guys, we will get to the episode soon. Uh, but we're like, you know, like Kelia in a car ride home has been like, man, that was so offended that thing they said to us. And you were like, oh, I guess maybe you're right. I knew intellectually things were ah, okay. I just didn't, there was no emotion by, behind it. I didn't stew or it was like, gotcha, okay. gotcha, Whatever. gotcha, gotcha. No, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Well, okay. Well, today, this is going to be really fun because today, as we have telegraphed, we're discussing if we, our generation, uh, is, uh, are really are too sensitive as we are told. But first, Nathan, if people enjoy our discussion and want to engage with more of our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves, where can they go? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts and send us all of their love and hate mail. They can also go to our online private group on Facebook called The Overthinkers where over 14,000 of you are having fun, getting Woo! great discussions about all the things we talk about on the podcast and posting mostly just tons of very cool and funny <laughs> and iffy and slightly amusing memes so uh go check uh we want you part of our ranks go check out the group we'd love to have you there and if you do enjoy the podcast uh it really would mean so much if you would leave us a review it, it really helps uh get out there and get in front of more people add more overthinkers to our ranks and uh please share with a friend i would say we have extremely amusing memes extremely uh, <laughs> are you offended that i didn't use that I'm i am so, so sensitive <laughs> about your use of the word slightly amusing you and i are enemies now um yes so yeah anyway uh ready to start the discussion let's do it awesome it's a pretty tired cliche at this point that kids today are too sensitive particularly we are talking about millennials and gen z are often accused of this whether it's stand-up comedians boomers or political pundits everyone complains about how easily millennial and gen z zoomers are considered triggered by jokes or ideas they find offensive jerry seinfeld famously said that he refused to perform on college campuses anymore because of how easily offended students were social psychologist dr jonathan height point to the rising rates of anxiety depression and suicide among young people and argued in his book the coddling of the american mind that parents and teachers have so prioritized making the world physically emotionally safe for children growing up the young people grew up without developing emotional resiliency to painful experiences. This meant that they grew up and found everything in the world traumatic 
and expected the world to change to be less painful for them rather than having the toughness to deal with it. Others push back, saying that young people's greater sensitivity is a function of more enlightened views of race, gender, and other matters than previous generations. Vicki Phillips, writing for Forbes, argues that the higher rates of depression and anxiety are simply reflect young people's greater willingness to admit their mental health problems and get help, and the fact that the world is harder and more complex for them than their parents ever had to deal with. Nathan, do you think that young people today, our generation and after, are more sensitive than they used to be? If so, why has that happened? And if not, why the rising rates of depression and anxiety? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> I don't know what about, but how dare you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Really? I will learn. I will grow from this experience. <laughs> and, and I will still make sure, even if you grow and learn, I will still make sure to cancel you and write you a strongly worded letter. It is the American way. As you uh, should. Okay, good. Well, got that out of the way. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, this is great because um, th this is something we've all seen and we've all felt. And you ask the question, are we more sensitive and why? And I'm so glad you asked the why question because that's what I'm really, really interested. So yeah. the answer to the first question, yes. Uh, I, I think um, very obviously, I think this generation is far more sensitive. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you evidenced bits and pieces of this in your opening, uh, statement, I think, um, but we can see this anecdotally in our everyday lives, be it on Twitter, be it on, uh, interpersonal relationships, be it on uh, the, the endless amounts of cancellations that continue to happen over and over again. Um, I, I think that, uh, absolutely we're more sensitive. Um, and so I'll talk on that a little bit and I'll get to the why, because why is the super interesting part that I can't wait to dive into. Absolutely. But I'll talk on that we are. Yes, we are. And I think uh, that it, it's a ultimately a bad thing um, yeah. that is so sensitive. Because real quick, I'll say being sensitive is good to a, to a point, right? I think that, right. we, you know, uh, I read an interesting book a while ago about um, the, the body and, and is a particular doctor who dealt with leprosy. Mm -hmm. And what I never understood about leprosy is that uh, what leprosy does is it desensitizes you. Don't feel pain. You don't I feel um, any feeling. And so everyone imagine that leprosy causes people to lose skin and lose their limbs. No, what happens? What as he explained is it, you lose the sensation of pain. Yeah. So if you step on a thorn, you don't realize that you stepped on a thorn, and then it it um it it gets infected, and then your uh foot dies and you have to chop off your foot, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that can happen in a million different ways. You don't realize that you've broken your finger. You don't realize that you've touched a hot pan and you burned your skin off on your hands. Yeah. And so there is something real quick before I get to, you know, why, why I think this is um, possibly how far we've taken our sensitivity, yep. a, a detrimental thing to the society, that sensitivity is not bad in and of itself. I, it's a good thing, right? We right. need to have those sensitive places where we go, oh, that's too far. That's going to cause damage. Right. Oh, that's um, something that causes pain, and that's an indicator, just like it is in our brains when we touch a hot pan, take your hand off or something worse is going to happen. Right. So I think a big uh, thing that I, I want to focus on is not that necessarily sensitivity is bad, but the amount we use it is bad. I think, uh, but there's also conversely this other disease, which I cannot remember, which is oversensitivity, which yeah. is you feel pain on every, you feel pain if you turn over in bed. You feel yeah. pain you put a blanket over your legs. You feel pain when you pick up a, a mug. And so that makes life almost 
um, impossible to live. You, you can't, yeah. you're paralyzed. And so you have these two extremes, right? You have the one where you feel no pain and it destroys the body. Then you have the other where you can't even function because you yeah. feel everything is pain. What and a so, great analogy. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to hate us. All right. Just because we all, <laughs> there's a tension here. A nuance. <laughs> we'll rename ourselves the both sides podcast. Yes. <laughs> but I actually think both sides typically when taking these streams are bad. And what yep. I, what I continue to see as I study, uh, especially theology is how delicately balanced the universe was designed. Yep. What I love about God is he, he, he made things with balance. We have, um, we have tides that go in and out. We have seasons that, and so there's a balance to the universe. So when it comes to this idea of sensitivity, I think we need this balance. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. I think that typically every personality, especially if you look at um, the Myers-Briggs personality type, which is based on Jungian psychology, what you see is that different people tend towards different sides of yeah. two good things. So, you know, the, the one that's probably relevant here is uh, when it comes to one particular uh, part of the personality makeup, a person can be a, quote, thinker or, quote, feeler. And those are yeah. two different distinct personality traits and like my my wife is a feeler and i am a thinker and being married to each other it's brought us both towards the middle she's mm. more sensitive to things and that's a beautiful thing because she can be more in touch with people's emotions what's going on she can be more in touch with um a, a, a gentleness and kindness at, around her and i'm a thinker and so i was gonna say what i want this is true don't care what you think um yep. this is how it is Whatever. And by the way, both of those things taken to extremes are bad. I, you know, T's, thinkers can be huge jerks because they're just right. me. Even if they're right, we've all heard the people who say, I just tell it like it is. And yeah. I'm just, <laughs> no, you're a jerk. And so unfettered T, thinker, can be really mean right. and, and actually destructive. But also unfettered feeler, feelings yep. can be chaotic and can, everything is emotional and you can't get through the day without feeling something right. so heavily. And it affects everything you do. Again, like just like the body issues that we talked about earlier, the diseases that affect the body. And I think this on a societal level when it comes to are we too sensitive? Um, yes, I think we have we have we had come out of a time when I think it was too T, too thinker, sure, too immune, uh, enlightenment, um, rationalism, all that kind of stuff. Yes, it's just it was how it is. Sorry, doesn't matter. Place up yep. up by bootstraps. Yeah. Um, who cares? And so we've overcorrected to this place where we're entirely overly sensitive about everything. And so it's 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 actually harmed our ability to function. And that's what I see actually reflected in a lot of this generation. If, if you watch TikTok and stuff, you watch these, these kids who talk about, I'm overly empathetic or I'm offended all the time. And they literally talk about how they can't function. You, you, there's yeah. actually an epidemic that uh, they have many studies on that people are are not coming into work because they're taking emotional support days because they can't function. And oftentimes the thing, um, it, it, it's a very light thing. Like I, I watched a movie and it really upset me so I can't come into work. Right. What? Yeah. And this is, only, this is the other extreme of, you know, a 12 year old should go work in the mine, whether or not his mother died yesterday from malaria. Right. And so it's like both of these things are unhealthy, but I think we're in a current state in society which we're overly sensitive. But if we're calling into work because a movie upset us, if we are canceling people because they said thing in a way um, that wasn't perfectly articulate um, with the modern zeitgeist, if we are um, unable to function because someone um, believes differently than us or thinks or says something differently than we like, then I think it's going to have a really high impact, high negative impact on what we can do in the world 
um, and just the quality of our lives. So that's my yes, we are more sensitive. Um, and there's a little bit of why in there. And I think ultimately we'll jump into, you know, uh, more of the why. And also um, how this will affect us if we continue to stay this sensitive. Yeah. So th that's my opening statements. Uh, tell me where yeah. I'm wrong. Such, such, so, so good. Yeah. Well, those, I'm actually, you know, I'm, unfortunately, I can't find anything I disagree with in that statement. Shoot. Um, um, so now, you know, you'll have to wait till uh, the hour, you know, the, the next uh, few minutes, 10 minutes or so to uh, have our, get our debate, be offended by something. That's um, right. But, but no, I think one of the things, I'm always surprised by people who try to argue that we're not more sensitive today because what they'll always say is, again, like it pointed out, it's like, well, you know, you know, people today aren't more sensitive. It's just that they're they're more willing to diagnose themselves. Everybody else was just as depressed and anxious as we are today, but None. they just wouldn't admit it. And the problem with that is, and this is the Jonathan Hyde pointed this out, is that that doesn't explain the higher rates of suicide. Like if it was yeah. all just and depression and, and de anxiety, well, it's like yeah. de depression is like depression, anxiety. Maybe that people are just diagnosing themselves more accurately now. But the fact yeah. that more people are unaliving themselves, to use the modern parlance, is yes. like means like this is real. This is not. Well, and so even that's a good example. We had to come up with a new word for suicide, which yes. is a that that's not a crass or crude word. That's literally the definitional word. Yeah, uh, we used, but we had to come up with a new word because it upset people to hear that word. Exactly. And, and so that, um, so it's, it's a, it's definitely a very real thing that's happening. And, and I think that, but there's a reason that millennials and zoomers are kind of sensitive to the idea, sensitive among many other things, sensitive yeah. to the idea that, um, oh, we're just too sensitive nowadays because there is this, you know, part where, you know, it's kind of funny because we were just talking, you know, to, um, Dr. George Yancey about him talking about the, you know, being colorblind, the colorblind versus anti-racist ways of talking about race. Um, and there's a similar thing going on here where there's a lot of people who will say everything that the millennials and Gen Z are complaining about is just them being too sensitive. So it's not and, worth addressing, you know, if, yeah. you, if, and so it's not worth addressing. They don't have any legitimate grievances, but, and then the, but on the other, so they want and they, and so they will dismiss it. They will say they're too so sensitive and they can dismiss it. But, um, on the other hand, it is true that millennials and gen z they do are they are more emotionally fragile and less able to take emotional slights or physical slights again they're less more, less likely to get into fights which is one thing we kind of like but again they're also less likely to have deep friendships with their peers because they can't take the emotional turmoil of conflict in friendship and this is where the other wow. problems that you see is that gen z is less likely to actually stand up for themselves and advocate for themselves in interpersonal relationships than previous generations. Well, I mean, the way the millennials handled their kind of emotional fragility is they would say, I have to, I can't, you know, I can't attend finals day because I have to go to Vegas, you know, for, for like a mental health day, you know, whereas, you know, I, I Gen Z person won't even advocate for themselves because they can't handle the conflict that would come up yeah. regarding it. So so the fact that people are trying to deny the sensitivity of the growing sensitivity of generations is actually detrimental to helping the younger generations be able to advocate for themselves and fix their problems. Because again, the, the only solution that millennials and Gen Z know is we have to create a space in the world 
where I'm never not going to face these problems. You know, we have to create safe spaces. We have to make sure that people don't, um, you know, say ideas I disagree with. We have to have trigger warnings everywhere because I won't be able to handle the emotional turmoil of the thing. And yes, and but that is making them emotionally so weak that they can't now. We're seeing generations advocate for themselves and what they actually need in person. They can sometimes do it online, but they can't do it in person where that's most likely to be productive. So now yes. we've established, I think, that there is a real emotional fragility that has increased over time. Um, and that doesn't discount the actual problems that they have. In fact, what it's doing is it's getting away of them being able to address the problems that we have. So, But now why is this happening? Because we want to fix it or make it better. We have to know why it's actually happening. So why do you believe that this has happened? Tell me why. Yeah, so I, I think there it's a it's a multiplicity of answers, like pretty much everything. Yeah. Uh, one of the first ones I would say is I, I think um again we come back to this idea of the destruction of um uh, in post-modernity destruction of religion and things sure, like yeah. that. Uh but uh, part and parcel with the the decline of religion is the decline of responsibilities on the familial unit to provide children with emotional yep. spiritual support yes and so i think what you have well you said have... well said that thank was you. well laid out <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you i saw well what can i do um but i i do think that and this is anecdotal data and and i i would imagine there's probably some study data to back this up Oh, there but, is. Don't worry. I'll get to that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> then a lot of kids grew up in homes where they weren't given, they, they didn't have the needs met, but particularly their emotional needs. Because most kids, and I, and I mean average, and I'm not saying all, of course, there's some who don't get food, don't get physical necessities. But most people in our in our society, especially here in the West in America, they were given food. <laughs> they were given shelter. Okay. They were even given education. They had all the um, the physical necessities met. But because you didn't have that religious component telling par parents they actually need emotional and spiritual support, you actually had this other need. And this goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. Have, it, it works up from the bottom up. At the very base, you have survival. Uh, then you have physical needs. And then you move on to relational and emotional needs. But it, so I think what we did in getting rid of religion, uh, specifically, that was a, a big... Um, boy was left in how parents ought to relate and provide emotionally and spiritually but i think they're part and parcel for their children giving them a strong framework of understanding of who they are Absolutely. what they need their their um their morals their their direction their value their meaning importance. and purpose where you know exactly so kids grew up and they feel bad complaining right because they feel this huge need that they weren't that wasn't met this emotional need but uh but they go well but I, I grew up, I was fed, I, I yeah. was housed, I went to school and they, so it's hard, it feels like bad for them to complain, yeah. but the reality is I'm giving some grace to some of this fragility that exists. Absolutely, it's, yeah. Well, I think a lot of kids actually are fragile, it's not play. I, I hear a lot yeah. of um, culture critics say that kids are fragile, like as it's, as if it's an act, right? That right. they're putting on this fragility. And there they're is, choosing to be fragile. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't think anyone, if they had a choice and yeah. that with equal outcomes, would choose fragility. I think we all yeah. desire to be people of strength and substance. Yeah. But I, I genuinely think that many people aren't this play-acting fragility. I think they actually are fragile. Yeah. 
And it's because they weren't given the muscle building. Um, emo- they didn't have the um, their emotional needs met uh, young. So now they're adults and they're trying to um, navigate this world that's emotionally turbulent. Every yeah. world has been. Oh, yeah. But because they were never given what they needed, it, it's like they're almost childlike in their emotional uh, capacity and ability because they weren't given that when they were kids. So I think that's one thing. I think the breakdown of the family, which is a result of the breakdown of religion, um, is a huge component into why people are fr- fragile right now. And I think yep. it's real. And I think it's because they were never given what they needed uh, emotionally. And so they're basically, when they set up these boundaries that like you can't say a mean thing to me, uh, it'll really hurt me. I think a big part of it is they're probably right. It probably would have yeah. hurt them to such a detrimental degree because um, they're so hungry for that. Uh, they were never nourished in that way. So I think that's one part of it. I also think that that alongside this, analogous to this, is modern culture, uh, modern society, it doesn't build the muscle of resilience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you look back just 100 years ago, you talk to any of the members of the greatest generation, um, and even read the interviews of the pre- generations previous, or even some boomers, they had this emotional resilience that was built. And I'm not saying it's necessarily always a good thing. Again, yeah. we talk about the extremes, but they had a resilience that was required of them from uh, from the culture they lived in. You know, you you had to go out and make money for your family, or they would starve. Yeah, that's not happened really as much now. Yeah, it does happen. I'm not ignoring that, but it happens less now than it did then, and far less. And we have a lot of data on that. Yeah, and we have a lot of. Uh, government programs. We have a lot of places and charities that can support people um, who are in those positions. That wasn't always the case. You yeah. know, you Charles Dickens and these kids dying on the streets and, and orphanages. You read Oliver Twist, and you're going to go, "Oh, that was a different time." Those kids, um, it, it, it that was a result of not having resilience, and so yep. resilience was built off of living in a society that required a lot for you. So you had to work out this muscle. We live yep. in a society right now that does not require a lot from us. And, and let me explain real quick, to give two quick examples. One is in the old days, and by old, I mean 100, 200, 300 years ago, if you wanted to eat, go plow the fields, yep. go grow something, go make it, go kill the cow, go kill the chicken, go milk the cow. Um, yep. And then so you had to do so much resilient work just to get a meal. Now, what do we do? We open our phones, beep, at the front door, right. we have food. Right. And so there there you can see a clear example of the resilience that 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 is not a present in our modern day yeah. culture. Really resilience of hard work, of having to do mm-hmm. things of it doesn't matter at the end of the day I have to eat. Yeah. Um, and then even like the the resilience of and there's huge studies on this of uh, let's say romance and dating yeah. and marriage. Yeah. Um, you know, with with the rise of pornography and hookup culture, mm-hmm. um, if you want to satiate if you wanted in the old days to satiate that, you had so many cultural boundaries. You had to go to such great lengths to uh, find a partner and a mate. You had to yep. become something and and uh, what was the term? Court them yep. and go long period of time, or you had to try to court them and then they rejected you. Yep. You had to deal with that rejection. Even just back in the fifties, you have all these stories about the rejection that multiple people would face and just trying to find someone. Yep. And now. Even if you are someone who is not the suavest in the world and you get rejected, you have recourse that will ultimately make you not have to work out the muscle getting rejected of yep. putting in effort to pursuing somebody and, and having it, you know, falling on your face and having to get yep. up and dust yourself off. You can go either watch porn or swipe yep. and find another desperate person uh, with whom you can do something and discard them. Yeah. And 
So I, I feel like, and those are just two examples. There's a million other examples. Of course, yeah. Um, you should, I mean, goodness gracious, let's talk about, uh, and none of these are necessarily wrong. Like, let, let's talk about, you know, the old days, if you wanted to go to New York City, you had to get on a wagon or cross <laughs> yes. the ocean. Now we jump in our car or a plane. And that's a, it's an amazing thing with technology, but it has, and those are, I get extreme examples. What I'm trying to illustrate here is we've lost um, the necessity for resilience. We don't need yes. resilience anymore. So it's not being built up. You don't up. work out the muscle as often. So obviously we're going to be weaker at this. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, so I think those are a couple of reasons as to why. I think there are more and I'll have to think through this, but I'm sure you have something to add to the list. Absolutely. So so I, I have I have three that I'll try to run through, you know, um, that I, I, but that and are basically, uh, the first two are really uh, just elaborations on what you talked about. So yes, there, you know, there are some people who talk about that, you know, well, the reason people are so fragile today is that the world is, you know, so much worse than it, it was. It's like, well, if you, by worse, you mean, you know, it's less safe than it used to be. That's certainly untrue. Because again, you talk <laughs> about, uh, I mean, it's, mu our world is so much safer. Again, like, sure, there's poverty today. There's violence today. There's things like, but there's so it's much less that. poverty today. And there's so much less violence today. People are, are more physically safe in, in than they ever have been in our society, but most societies, but certainly in our society, and less likely to be poor and starve than they were yeah. before. And so it's that whole thing of like, we, we're not questioning why people are depressed and anxious. It's like, why are they more than they used to be when yeah. the world is so much safer? Um, and these things don't make sense. On, yeah, on these two don't, shouldn't go together. It should be the other way around. Um, but you point out two things. One thing is like, one, we lack the support that we used to have, the that undergirded our sense of security. And we have the ability to choose not to be resilient, which we didn't have before. Um, yeah. And we, the third thing is we've created a worldview to accommodate that. Um, the, there's, there's now rewards for not being resilient. Exactly. Yes. So the, so, so first thing is like, you know, um, do, uh, Dr. Jean, uh, what's, what's her last name? Um, uh, Twinge, Twenge, uh, who, who wrote um, uh, Generation Me and her latest book, Generations. Um, she talks about, she says something which is fascinating. She says, the one group that has almost no mental health problems is the Amish. And that's because they have such a tight knit community that if you're having emotional problems, you have people who can support you in that. And they have such a deep belief in God that gives them meaning and purpose and all those things that, you know, that if they, they of course they have depression, they have anxiety, but it gets alleviated so much easier. And they have resources that are right there for them to deal with. We've been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise. Um, but they also, I, I don't know if she said this article, they also live in a society in which they have to do both. All of the things I just mentioned, which yes. are support women, yes. make their own food, yes. and, and ride a horse to get anywhere. It's hard work. Right, exactly. So, so and the thing is, a lot of people they when they talk about like why are millennials and Gen Z you know so depressed you know is like they start talking about well the technology has changed you know in recent years. The problem is depression anxiety have been uh, going uh, up since like the last hundred years. This is like you know the twentieth century. You know the depression anxiety and suicide rates have been going up like other peaks and valleys, but it's been going down. And the reason, of course, is because one of the reasons is of course the the 
we used to not, people talk about the nuclear family collapsing. Like that's the least of our problems. The problem is we used to have biological, tight-knit biological families nestled in tight-knit extended families, which were nestled in tight-knit communities who all believed in God that gave them meaning and purpose. And we slowly, we first took, you know, the nuclear family out of the extended family and out of the, we took these, we dismantled these things. So of course the nuclear family collapsed. It didn't have the support of the, you know, extended family in the community. We took God out, which took away people's meaning and purpose. Like, so we've been dismantling all these things and people's support systems for a long time. And you talked about people not getting their, kids not getting their emotional needs met. One of the things, um, Erica Commissar wrote, uh, The Politicization of Motherhood. You know, she talked about the fact that, you know, the first thing the industrial revolution did is it took fathers out of the home, you know, so they weren't able to give, um, you know, the particular kind of emotional needs that kids need from their fathers consistently. They weren't able to get that from them. Then, of course, the 60s took the mothers out of the home. And so they, the particular kind of, and, and there's very particular kinds of emotional needs that kids get from both mothers and fathers, distinct from each other. And when you took this out, they, the children would not, do not learn. Like one thing particularly mothers do is they teach kids how to interpret the feelings that they're having because kids are having feelings for the first time and the mother is able to say, oh, you're hungry. Oh, you're upset. You're angry. You're sad. Yeah. It's like, and, and kids can't do that for themselves. And so again, as the parents start to leave the home and are not walking their kids through the emotions they're feeling for the first time, they don't know what they're feeling and it scares them. And then the resilience on the other side is, you know, dad comes in and says, okay, you're feeling sad. And now come on, be brave. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to be okay. And so you have this, there's a beautiful design where it, 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 uh, it, it prepares a kid yes. for life and to be able to face life head on with resilience. And, and, and we've been s- slowly over the past like hundred years been taking those away from kids. The other yes. side of it is it used to be, as you said, you know, you couldn't, if, if, if you had an interpersonal conflict with somebody, you had to either suck it up or work out the conflict with them. Now you can just move away. There's, you know, it's like there's a, an article in Atlantic that's talking about like, well, why are our our kid, or why is their family estrangement on the rise, even though family abuse is not on the rise, family estrangement is. And basically their thing is that kids are reinterpreting all of the normal conflicts of their parents as abuse and saying, well, those, wow. and therefore I should cut them off. And that's where sort of you get the worldview thing. But the thing is, you used to not be able to say that. It's like, well, I'm not going anywhere, so I have to work this out or just toughen up and take it. And now you can move to a new city. You can move to a new job. You can move to, you can leave and find another partner. When this, I was going to say, what happens when this bleeds over into relationships? Yes. You know, this girl's getting on my nerves. I'm going to swipe and find a new one because there are a thousand girls right in my phone, right there. And that's the thing. I don't even need to meet with another human. I'll just watch. Exactly. Um, from, yeah. And that's why technology has increased this process rapidly is that the thing is that you have other options either than building resilience in your relationships. And yes, so many people are choosing, even if they're doing it in small ways, like me, you know, like I value relationships and I do them, but I can still choose to do it less often. 
than I used to be able to. Yeah. I can I can spend less time with my friends in real life if I want to and and indulge more of my introvert side, which causes me to lose those social skills, you know, and in the real in, reason that I left New York is I just got fed up with Joseph and I opt <laughs> you just to move to Los Angeles and say which, oh. <laughs> which to be fair, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I I am such a jerk, you know, who doesn't it's care really at all true, about everyone. other people's feelings. This nice guy, this kind. No, it's <laughs> yeah. all it's all facade. It's also but no, so that's so that's the things, but that's you you lose that muscle over time. We're just as a yeah. culture rapidly using that losing that muscle because for the first time in history we've had the choice to lose that muscle. Um and then the, the, okay. finally, we sort of this is where we talk about the power of words with a previous guest, um, Mattis, who we who we love is one of the things that young people are doing is that they're reinterpreting um uh, things with different words it's like you used to say that it's um you know like this person was a jerk now we say his words were violence against me or like he caused me trauma and things like that things. yeah exactly with and more, more social rewards right exactly and so then now the what that does is of course because people are diagnosing themselves as i have trauma what they're saying is the proper response for this is to retreat into safety. It's like they don't actually believe that if they face this, it will make them stronger. It's basically somebody said, I forget who it was, said basically we're, they're teaching themselves anti-cognitive behavioral therapy. And by the way, this is not just us throwing this out there, yeah. uh, you know, being kind of rude or mean or dismissive. I'm someone who's diagnosed with one of the most severe cases of mental illness my diagnoser, my, my medical professional said, yeah. ever seen. And this is, and you're absolutely right. This is something that has been happening over and over again. So this is not us not taking no, no. mental health seriously or trauma seriously. Those are big, important things. But there is something I will say that one of the best things that I have had in my life to get me through my mental illness, to keep me getting up in the morning, is choosing to work out the muscle of resilience. Right. And so I will fight with mental illness until the day I die. But it, but I'm going to continue living a better and better life, doing things that I want to living fully into it because I've chosen to be a person. And it's not always easy, but no. I, I'm choosing everyday resilience. I'm fighting against uh, the things that are so, so difficult. And so that's so interesting what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. I, I say, but that's the thing is that what the worldview component of it is like, say this, again, sure, you have trauma. You have all the, I, I'm sure everything that you has hurt you in your life has hurt you exactly what you, uh, as you think it did. However, the thing is, what the actual professionals, like those who teach cognitive behavioral therapy, will tell you yes. is the solution to that is to build your resilience. It's to yes. become tough enough that it doesn't hurt you in the way that it does now or it did before. And what that's is what, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can, can you, I was going to say, it, I've had so many letters from people. I, I wrote my book about um, my, mental, my mental health struggles uh, and yeah. my different. And I have so many letters from people asking, does it get better? You know, because I have this kid yeah. or I am this kid and it just feels so overwhelming. And m my response is, is typically it can, it can get better. Yeah. Not that it will get better. It can get better, but it is a choice to every day get up and use that resiliency to yeah. take up towards facing the thing you're scared of doing the thing that's difficult. And I, by the way, it doesn't end. I'm still asking my yeah. wife who lives every day. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes it's hard. I totally get it. But you have to get up and continue working out that muscle, essentially, and stepping forward. And I, and then it will get better. But it yeah. is an act of, quote, the will. Does the hurt ever go away? 
I wish I could say yes. But it will get better in time. For you. That I promise. Yeah. Well, I thought you could bring the Christian theology aspect of it, and that's what Christians believe about sanctification, is we don't ever believe there's going to be a day where we stop being sinners. Like, yes. you know, or something. But we believe that through a process of partnering with God to um it to to become more like Christ, we will get closer to that, and that will make our lives and the lives of other people around us so much better if we're less of a sinner yesterday than we were today, and we keep practicing that. Um. So yes. So now going into that, we've sort of established what's going on. It seems to be based on the um based on the data that we have available, and then the why, <laughs> the history of it. What? I have more to add to the why, real quick. Oh, I just, please go go I, ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I want to say I want to. I want to be totally fair and say that there is an aspect of this that is societal that's not just um, non-resilience. And yes. I do think that there's a component here that's an additive to everything we've said. Yes. Um, that is also the rise of media. Yes, and you know, I heard a while ago someone say one of the one of uh, a small percentage of, of the aspects as to why people have such a great dissatisfaction in their long-term relationships yes. is because we were never, ever meant to be exposed to so yes. many options. I don't mean just options on dating apps. I mean yeah. options on the amount of movies, the amount of people, the amount of followers, the amount of um, uh, social media, that it's almost impossible to feel satiated or content nowadays because we have this, we're inundated yes. uh, with this option. So that being said, I don't think we were ever made to yep. know everything about every terrible thing that happened in the world all yes. the time. We, yes. we talked about this in another episode about compassion fatigue. Yes. I'm not saying that there's all these things that are going on are not important. Yeah, of course they are. I mean, of course, everyone's life and story is important, but us as finite humans who can't yeah. hold all that in our head, much less our empathy centers, yes. can't healthily do that. So I, I do think that when we're overly inundated, yes. um, from the time we wake up in the morning, we're reading about um, the war that's going on, on the other side of the world, or how um, you know the, the ozone is disappearing, or yeah. how uh, someone else in politics is corrupt, there's a certain amount that is good for us to know and be aware, of course, right. so we make differences in our world. But I think that there is a, a compassion fatigue aspect to this that, of course, we're going to be anxious because there's it's a nonstop red and, and just uh, um, buffet no, of terrible things going on. And so, of course, that's going to increase anxiety. Uh, it tend a million fold in us. So I, I could see that being a component oh, of. The distress that exists. Well, and that's and, 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 we, and we started out again. We started out by having you know this also tracks with the sort of last hundred years. We started out by having news on three channels. Then we start had twenty four hour news, which had to find things. But and then we had so media, social media, and the internet. And of course, the way the algorithms work is that they have to find the things that are going to create the most attention in order to grab your attention. The and worst things. Well, the thing is because our brains are wired. And this is the Psychology Today article, Why Do People Believe Things Are Getting Worse? talks about this. Our brains are wired to hear bad things louder than good things. And so all the algorithms put all of the worst things that are happening everywhere in the world at your attention all the time, which fools your brain into thinking your world is worse, even yes. though... It, it, that's actually a smaller percentage of what the world is actually like. And you're right. I mean, people, we're, we're only have the mental and emotional capacity to have in our imagination 150 people, you know, it's like yeah. things like that. And so, you know, we're kind of living in the anti-matrix, which is that, you know, the matrix is supposed to be a digital realm that makes things feel seem like they're better than they are. 
so that we're satiated. But we live in the a, a digital world. We're living in digital worlds on our phones. They're making it seem like things are worse than they are. And so yeah. are, you know, making us more depressed and anxious in that way. That's 100% correct. And so I do have empathy yeah. for the fragility that exists in the world. And yes. I'm not even, uh, yes, I don't want it to be there, but I do understand why it's there. I guess where I come in with is, and right. I think this is a good place to kind of move as we close, unless you want to go somewhere else, of course. Um, I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> but is I think that society realize, okay, we have a lot of fragile people. Yes. And so they correctly um, diagnosed that yeah. fragility is here and it's on the rise. I think their methodology that they, that we've employed largely in going about solving this issue has actually made the problem worse. Sure. So what you often see is, okay, we have a lot of fragile um, kids in the, in these generations, what we should do is make sure that they never have to meet anything that challenges that fragility. Sure. Yeah. They're sure that they never actually have to come in contact, um, with things that will be difficult. And so we yeah. started creating, you know, on the colleges and, and, uh, even in popular culture, if someone's getting close to offending someone, we're, we're going to shut it down yeah, because yeah. they shouldn't have, because, and, and that's been their response to, the frat, the real fragility that lives yeah. in this generation, which I totally empathize with. Um, but I think that's been a bad way to address it. On the other side, oh, oh. on the other side, yes. there has been um, uh, uh, dismissal and mockery. Has yes, been, yes, thank you. There is another side. I want to make that clear. You're yeah. absolutely right. The other side, they don't have as much sway in culture. Yeah, yeah right. No, yeah. Their, um, their antidote is just be a jerk to everything. <laughs> yeah. just, you know, oh, if something offensive, I'm going to see the most offensive thing. Right. And if you feel even a hint of offense and you're weak, that's yeah. not good either. It yeah. goes back to what we talked about early, earlier in the episode that there's a balance here. Yeah. So I do think that if in a, the best society would be, let's build a resilience so things don't yeah. get to us, so that we can move about the world without feeling pain at every step. But let's also acknowledge and not be jerks about everything right. and not yeah. try to yeah, pause. Because a lot of, again, like the reason millennials and Gen Z are fragile is not because of millennials and Gen Z. You know, yeah. it's because yeah, guys, the, let's think about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's happening in a vacuum. There's a, the best line in West Side Story to me was a line in the original one. And they did took this out of the new one, which is one of the reasons I was very critical of it was the the shop good shop owner is talking to the kids who've done some horrible things and he said you know what he's like what kind of world are you making and their response to him and says we didn't make it uh, i think that gets lost oftentimes in in discussion of yeah young people are more sensitive it's like well yeah because we gave them that world um so what yeah. do you think is for individuals in society what is the solution to for people, you know, whatever influence and power they have to kind of repair this, you know, for this generation and the generations after. I think generally when I think about generations, I think about children. So you can use as a, a pretty good analogous, right? Yeah. We've all seen a crying baby mm -hmm. right, or a yeah. crying toddler. And I think the wrong thing to do, one, on his face, of course, is to reward um, the fit, sure. to reward yeah. the fragility of this toddler. Um, and I think we're doing that a lot right now in culture. Yep. We're rewarding fragility. So even people who who aren't that fragile are actually going, well, I should probably find a way that I'm more fragile so I can get the social yeah. 
rewards from being fried. I don't think that's good. I don't think you no. offer your kid a lollipop. We've all seen this play out, right? In restaurants or wherever we are in public. Yeah. No, don't get the kid a lollipop for crook. <laughs> no, what is that going to teach him? Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think that's the right way. I also have seen it play out uh, conversely right. uh, with kids when their parents are crying or the, they just go up and start hitting them yeah. or yelling at them. What's that going to teach them? That there's no trust, that there's an alienation, yeah. that the, that 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 whatever the kid is feeling at that moment, the fear, the anxiety, yeah. that's not going to go away by you spanking them or yelling yeah. at them. What I, I go to my parents' model of, quote, discipline. I, I don't mean retributional discipline. I mean right. discipline training. Training, yeah. yeah. Which is what I've seen the best parents do. And this, I think, is totally analogous to our society and how we ought to act and how our uh, the people running society ought to act is, one, understand why is the kid crying you know yeah. uh, this person hit him he didn't you know he's tired he's cranky yeah. you know he has a full diaper whatever it is understand the situation at for what it is objectively yeah this kid is crying for a reason so this these generations are crying and they're hurt why figure that out first uh everyone before you start uh do, doing treatment figure it out and then you go you you do understand your kid to say i understand why that scared you I understand why that hurt that you i'm and you acknowledge that. You say, I'm sorry. But then you move into solution. You say, yeah. okay, I'm sorry this happened, but you and empower solution and empowerment. Yeah. You are so strong. I believe in you. You're so brave that you saw yeah. that scary uh movie and, and you're okay. That's yeah. it's an empowerment and and just in the idea of empowerment to get beyond someone's fragility is in and of, in and of yeah. itself a solution. So you understand you uh the the object objectivity of why people are fragile <laughs> you give them um, empathy and understanding and then you empower them to move forward and through it and yeah. that is helped me as a kid when i was learning to manage my emotions my own fragility that's what strengthened me so the whole the whole desire is we want a society of strong people the yeah. way you do this understand their weaknesses help them with it yeah. um, be kind in their weaknesses and then help them move towards strength um with particular ways okay so the monster scared you how about we go and do something fun what if we go read that book that you like? And I know that yeah. sounds a little infantilizing. I don't mean it to. I'm talking about what helped me as a kid and yeah. why I'm so thankful my parents utilize this because it made me more resilient. And so however you want to apply that to society-wide, I think that should be the model. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, it, it's diagnose, empathize, and empower. Yes, perfect. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that the, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I've, I have felt my when I have um, the things that have been the best for my depression and anxiety have been um, what is known sort of as exposure therapy, you know, kind of where I and and you know where basically I go do the thing that I'm scared to do, and right. I find out you know for two things. One is I do that enough, and it's less scary in the future, and so yeah. I'm. You know, again, I'm not as scared. So I've, there are fewer things in the world that scare me. And I discover I'm actually strong enough to handle that thing in a way that I wasn't before. And I'm also stronger than you thought. And I'm stronger than I thought. It's like, and just knowing that I'm stronger than I thought in, decreases my general anxiety about everything. You're so much stronger than you think you are. And so yeah. if you as a person can find the little, and also this is the other thing is allowing yourself to feel proud of yourself or realizing that you're Absolutely. strong for that, uh, strong in that way. And if you do that often enough, it almost becomes like a high where it's like, I, I want to do more things that are brave. 
because I think it yes. feels so good to have the rest of the world not be as scary and threatening to me as I thought that it was. And even when it goes bad and you face consequences, you realize, oh, I worked through those consequences. I yes. can handle them. No, yeah, yeah. Sometimes again, you're like, oh, the situation is not as bad as I thought. But the other times it's like, if the situation was as bad as you thought and if you, you're okay afterwards. Yeah. And so, you know, for, for yourself, if like you struggle with depression and anxiety and, you know, part of the component is, you know, so that's one of the things I would say is that, you know, the more that we can choose to model the kind of a community that is, you know, that's tighter knit than we have right now, you know, where you choose to do that for yourself to enter a community like that, or you choose to be a community like that for others. We talked about like married versus single people before where it's like, Hey, if you're married, like go invite your single friends to do things with you, make them a part of your lives and things like that. Well, what are ways if, if you have stable community that you can invite people into that? And if you don't, how you can try to have stable community of your own. So that's, but then also how do you build resilience to doing hard things because that makes the rest of the world less scary. So that's the, so for the individual, that's sort of what they should do. And then, like you said, for communities, like how do you find ways to adopt young people into your lives that in personal ways, you know, that you can help them build resilience by modeling the diagnosis, listening and empathy, but then also empowering solutions. And then, of course, yeah, it gets harder when you start saying, what should society do? You know, what what should society do? But it should work on that model of maybe society should be empowering that model in local yes. communities. Who knows? Yes, I'm absolutely. And again, like people have talked about, you know, the idea of, hey, we should, you know, create like mandatory um, like uh, minimum ages or uh, for for social media, because there is some like data that says like young people would love to not have social media, but all their friends have it. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's hard for individuals to care. And I'm not yeah. like close to that. So like there are solutions like that people are saying, but whatever model we have has to be one that's saying, you know, how do we have the support system of right of, of beliefs and communities that give us the support that we need? And then how do we in those communities diagnose, uh, empathize, and then empower? So that's, that I think is a perfect uh, model that you put forward and uh, hopefully, um, you know, uh, and yeah, hopefully people can figure out in their own individual situations what that looks like. Well, I won't take all the credit. I will say that model, while it was going to be my life for my parents, what brought it back into my mind again is a while ago reading through the Gospels and watching how Jesus interacted <laughs> with people. Nice. It was exactly that. It was, I understand why you're hurting. I'm going to be here with you in that. Um, and I know why you're hurting. Now I'm going to empower you. Uh, yeah. So I, I saw that in how Jesus interacted with people. And so I go, well, Jesus did it. Must be a pretty good model. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, you know, that's, that is his, his project on earth. It was, you know, I'm going to, you know, what he did his disciples. He's like, I'm going to heal. Now I'm going to actually pass this on to you so that you're able to do this for others. Yeah. And it, it was not a, 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 a something he was bringing that was going to bring a perpetual dependency it says it was going to be something that was eventually going to empower them to be leaders in the church that could help other people like themselves. So that's an excellent work point. alongside with work, yeah. work alongside with. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully this has resonated with you. Um, we'd love to hear your ideas of what this looks like in your own life or push back on what we've said or things that we've missed. 
because obviously this is a topic we care about. And so we're going to have continue to have conversations on this and any feedback that you give us, we can incorporate better, make have a better conversations about this in the future. So please let us know what you think. Um, now we're on to blesses and curses where no, we, we take a, we take a work of art, media, or resource that we think is relevant to the topic. Um, and we either recommend it, i.e. bless it, or we distract it, i.e. curse it. So, uh, Nathan, what are your blesses and or curses for today? Okay, I'm going to bless. I told you I was going to bless one thing, Matt, if you can save it, because I just had a great bless. And I'm going to bless, Ooh. I think, and this is, this is like, I'm going to make people mad with this, but I think it's my favorite, I'll speak personally, my favorite um, series of books I read as a as a young person. Nice. And this was the series of unfortunate events. Ah, brilliant nice. set of books um, by uh, author Lemony Snicket. Um, and the for anyone who's been around for years, so if you don't know, uh, but I'll explain it real quick. It's about three kids who are orphaned and find themselves in a very hostile, um, a terrible, evil, uh, aggressive world. And one that you would say these kids have every right to just yeah. collapse and disappear and give up. But what you see, it's, it's a it's a brother and a sister and a baby who is also uh, a sibling. And what you see is every single book, there is literally a series of unfortunate and awful events. Yeah. And what you see is these kids choose the empowered road where it's terrible yeah. things are happening and they have the right to be fragile but they get through everything. It's just like we were talking about earlier. When you when you choose to stand up in front of the darkness that faces you, you find yep. that you can't and that it's not as big. And so every single book, you watch these kids confront the thing in front of them with resilience and bravery. And it turns out that the beauty isn't so much in the books, um, isn't so much in the world around them, but it's the beauty is watching them confront, take on and triumph over whatever obstacle they find in their way. It's so smartly written. It's so beautifully written. Yeah. And it's a wonderful image uh, to me as a young person, when I was a young person, of what I wanted to do when confront confronting a fraught and dark and chaotic world. And it's it, the world doesn't ever become easier. That that's impossible. Yeah. It, the world's always going to be stressful and and anxiety inducing and chaotic and dark. That is just the reality. And both um, at all sorts of different people wish the world was different. We're longing for utopia. It's not going to happen right now. We're going to be in a difficult and dark and broken world. So what you see these kids do is is a continuance of a broken world. The world yeah. never gets better that they're living in, but they get better. They get yeah. strong. That's the beauty of the book. Most I, books focus on the world the author builds getting better. Yeah, This book focuses on the character. While the world stays the same terrible place, the characters get stronger and stronger and stronger every time they meet their foes with resilience. That That's the part of it again like i i didn't like read them like growing up i sort of got you know into them and kind of aware of them later um but when i my, i did have friends who were, were reading them and into them and one of the things that they always seemed to appreciate and i can i can sort of appreciate it in retrospect was that it was a children's book series that didn't try to pretend that the world was not dark in the way it was yes and that's and 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 it was a word and kids knew that it was as dark as it was. And there was a yes. lot of parents and adults trying to pretend and act like it wasn't. And so it really did. And that's the thing we talked about before is that there's people who try to say, it's not actually that bad. You're being just being too sensitive or it is this bad and you aren't capable of handling it. The series of unfortunate events really did say it's as bad as you think it is. And you're capable of handling it. Exactly. So I absolutely bless that series. I get your kids started early on this and 
If you're an adult, read it. It will encourage your heart. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to curse. Oh, man. <laughs> this was the first movie that my wife and I saw after moving uh, here to Los Angeles. Uh, we had decided to have a date night and go out and see a nice movie. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it's by Ari Aster, who is a masterful, Great director. Yeah. masterful director. Just artistic, uh, disturbing at times, but just so uh, the, the craft. He's a master at it. Uh, we watched his new movie with with just total high hopes. Um, I, I hesitate cursing movies because I'm an actor and I know how hard it is. I'm a filmmaker. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think it <laughs> might be one of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> All right, listen, cast me in your next movie. We'll make a good thing together. Um, and you can tell me why wrong. <laughs> but it is called Bo is Afraid, uh, starring Walking Phoenix. Um, and, and listen, Walking Phoenix is always a fantastic actor. Oh, yeah. The shots are amazing. There's very little aesthetically I'm criticizing here. There's so much quality in it. I think that's what made it worse is that the story was so void of goodness or truth. Uh, one, I mean, it, there's, I could go on for hours, <laughs> but I won't, but it's essentially about a man who's not resilient, a man uh -huh. and, um, how the world, the terrible world just keeps on happening to him and eventually eats him whole. Um, you know, and so I think that's the message that I really hated with just kind of said, uh, the world is so bad. You're never, you will never be strong. You will never be uh -huh. whole. And eventually you'll be eaten whole by the terrible world. It's the opposite of a series yeah. of unfortunate. There is no resilience. Um, and, and every time he tries to show resilience, what the movie tells us is if you try to show resilience, uh, you'll just yeah. get beaten down and defeated. And yeah. I hated that because I think it's so detrimental to people watching um, because it, it does encourage their best, strongest, most beautiful self. It, it's um, not true. Yes. And it teaches, and it teaches them a lie that's going to harm them. Exactly. And, uh, aside from that, um, listen, I love weird stuff. <laughs> well, interesting. What's going on? Avant-garde. Love it. Uh, this felt like, um, I don't really know what I'm saying or what this movie is about. I'm going to put just weird stuff in here and make the audience enjoy whether they like it or not. Listen, this movie is three hours long and it was the first time the director got to do whatever he wanted without the studio's input. And lo and behold, sometimes <laughs> it have studio input. Artists need that give and take, that <laughs> shift iron. And oh boy, Ari, I, I love you, man. Um, I can't wait for your next movie. Uh, cast me in it, but you know, let's, let's see if we can work yeah. something. Think so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. No, we, uh, uh, weirdness without meaningfulness is, yes. is the, is the, you know, it can be weird, but you have to explain to me why it's here and why I should care. Uh, yes. And, and, and it, it's gonna be going somewhere. And, and, and it, that doesn't, that, that often doesn't happen. Again, we're seeing a lot of those, like a director's being let off the leash, you know, like Babylon, you know like, who you know, did this really well when they were let off the leash. Jordan Peele. Yes. I, Loved. Um, well, nope. One hundred percent. Oh my gosh! But yeah, this happens a lot. Babylon. No, it's, yeah. it, it's again. It, it doesn't always happen. You're right, and we're thankful for when it doesn't. But yeah, that's. Oh man. So okay, cool. All right. So I will. I have a couple. I'm a couple blessed. A couple curses. I'll try to go through quickly. Um, when, um, I'm gonna and, and these these uh are are you know I've cur I've blessed uh, at least these before, so it doesn't won't take too long. You know. If you want to see one of the best critiques of the fragility and self-destruction of modern uh, of modern generation, 
the best one is still Bodies, 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 which is the okay. last movie last year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun it's just, one. It's it's you know, bunch of Gen Zers in a house, and then there's you know they discover it seems like there's a murder among them, and you know, and and it's 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 got if you want to see the best kind of movie encapsulating the negative side of you know of the self destructive tendencies of the our generation, the fragility. That's the one to watch. It's R, so like be warned. Um, but uh, then also on the positive side of it, um, eighth grade is about mm-hmm. a a young girl growing up in this generation that is setting her up to be fragile, and she learns to not be fragile. You know, she yeah. she learns to the people who are mean to her online. She learns to confront them in real life. You know, the people, the things, all all the ways that she does have loving people in her life who can help encourage that in her. But again, I think it's like one of the most optimistic stories if you look at kind of the modern generation. Oh, it's, yeah, deeply, deeply empowering. And also, again, like every single like girl I knew who grew up in her generation said, this is exactly what my life yeah. is like. So again, yeah. talking about things that tell the truth about the world and also say you are able of overcoming it, a wonderful um, movie to watch. Um, in terms of curses, I'm kind of going on... As I do again, the sort of back and forth sides of it. Um, if you want to watch movies that um, try to pre-check kids what they should be like without actually acknowledging what their lives are actually like, watch any movie by the Kendrick Brothers. <laughs> whether it's whether it's Overcomer, Life Mark, or like you know, a, you know, even Courageous is pretty good because they don't spend a lot of time on the kids. Um, but but pretty much any time they try to write kids. Um, you know, if facing the giants was so obnoxious. Anytime they try to write kids and and what their lives are like, what they're going through, it's terrible. <laughs> and and I, I'm always like, you know, I cannot take any of my friends to these movies who are this age because it's like they will know that these people don't know anything about my life. Does it reek of boomer? Is that what you're yes. trying? To- oh, so boomer. <laughs> it's, it's written by boomers who had nobody checking their work. Um, <laughs> on the flip side, I will. You know, talk about um, the the you know, there's a lot of movies that talk kind of you know, I I, I will say that you know I've I've cursed before um, you know the uh, there there's a, the junior knows best movies um that basically say that everything that they think about the world that's wrong with their parents and how much trauma they have is true um and you see that in like you know. Encanto, Turning Red, or Dan in Real Life. Those are three movies that are just kind of like the, there. there is no, every complaint I have about the world is right. And um, is, 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 is pretty, is pretty toxic thing that we've been sort of teaching our kids to, to embrace in our movies. And so I, I, I definitely think somebody needs to marry the, uh, the Kendrick brother or, and the, the, the modern sort of junior of the best Disney um, a thing into something and, and 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 have more nuance to that conversation. So, oh, nuance, balance, exactly, <laughs> all those good things. All right, well, cool. This has been fantastic. Thank you guys so much for joining us, um, Nathan. If people want to get in touch with you, see your work, and uh, uh, give us feedback, where can they go? Uh, if they want to get in touch with both of us on the episode, give us feedback where we got it wrong, where we got it right. Head over to the overthinkersjournal.com and join our ranks on the Overthinkers private Facebook group. We want you there. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, 
You can search my name, Nathan Clarkson, on any of the socials or go to nathanclarkson.me. And I will use this time to plug a couple books where I've, where I've written about this specifically and individually. Um, go check out my book, Good Man. You can buy it in your sold on Amazon. Um, I, I write about a lot of the stuff we talked about today inside the book, and it might be something that you might enjoy. Uh, so it's called Good Man. So check it out. Fantastic. Yes. And you can get in touch with me as well at my website, josephholmstudios.com. I'm also on any of the socials as well. You can also find my a culture criticism um, uh, of, of movies and faith and television at uh, religionunplugged.com. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Mm-hmm.